You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In today's program, Father Paul explains that it is God who makes his own house and his own children, noting the absurdity of religious debates about legitimacy and pedigree. I am delighted to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. A classic example that I love to give, not to you know, belittle the Lutherans. But it's an example very powerful. I mean, it's a church that names itself by the name of its human founder that appeared only a few centuries ago. So it's silly for me when I hear a Lutheran saying, but our church has its roots way back to the Pauline Church. How can you talk like that when you call yourself the Lutheran Church? I'm not saying that the rest of us are better. We behave in the same way. But it's an extreme example that should really be clear even to a blind person. How could a Lutheran Church... Now, the Calvinists are a little bit smoother, you know. They don't like it when you call them the Calvinist church. Although some churches in North America do that, you know, but they prefer Presbyterian and so on. So the title itself of the Lutheran church betrays its being non-Pauline since it defines itself after a man who is neither a prophet nor let alone an apostle. Let's talk about it. See, for instance, Karl Barth's ridiculous verdict concerning who is indeed God's people in his commentary on Romans because he was shaken by the Holocaust in the Second World War and he wanted to atone. This is the epitome of self-righteousness. He writes it in this way. Ultimately, I became convinced that the actual Jews that are living with us today are indeed the scriptural people of God. Dixit Karl Barth, and we're supposed to bow down and accept his statement. Are we better? Let me repeat, we are not. But examples help as the parables to make the point. And the proof of my contention is found in the endless debates among Christians that revolve essentially around which theology, that is, our respective views, is the correct one, that is, that corresponds to the scriptural teaching. And that's the cheapness of all of us Christians, because... We're not interested in scripture because 
we have it all figured out in our theologies, but somehow we know unless we point out to the fact that it fits with Scripture, and that's why Scripture is very nasty. You can't live without it, and you can't live with it. You wish it was not there. Actually, Maximus the Confessor solved it, and a lot of Orthodox theologians like his theology, that ultimately we don't need scripture. Theology is right there in nature and in the data, meaning the philosophical nature of our being, that famous spark of the divine in each and every one of us that started with Justin the philosopher. So it's really getting tiring. So if you hear me say that I'm tired, I'm really tired, sometimes sick and tired, but I try to punch out the sickness so that I can continue my writing and my podcast. But it's really ridiculous. Each contingent tries to prove that they are the actual children of Abraham and by extension, those who are privy to or the heirs of the blessings linked to him. Whereas the Lord himself stated, bear fruit that befits repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise, and here we have the original eire, which is that verb that speaks about raising Christ. To raise up children to Abraham. I'm sure all of us are aware of this text in Matthew 3.8.9 and Luke 3.8. But again, we start preaching about it in a way that your parishioners hear that they are the people of God. So let's try to make the effort and listen to the story as it is related to us. It's nice to remind those who know Hebrew that the verb to relate, to tell a story, is the P'a'el form, siper, of the verb safar, which is to count, you know how in English you have to count and recount. But more importantly, both of them are from exactly the same root that gives us sefer, the scroll, in which the dobarim, the words of God, are written. That's why when I'm teaching Hebrew, I don't like the people to play games with that by translating Sefer as book. Because book is also katub, what is written. And in many instances, you have write in this Sefer. In other words, the Sefer does not become a scripture until it is dictated so by God. An aside, but important for the essentiality of the original language. This being said, and we have a long story, 
Let's go over the chapters and underscore now and then important elements or twists. So then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him, You shall not marry one of the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel. Bethuel. God is his house, or it is the house of God, however you want to take it. Your mother's father. And take as wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So the author is setting up the story. You have the mother, you have her brother Laban, and ultimately, is it really the house of God or not? We'll have to wait until the end of the story. It is only God who makes it his own house. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. Very nice, the Hebrew. Kehal Amim. Again, I spoke plentifully in Genesis how the ultimate aim of God is his interest in all the nations starting with Genesis 1, Genesis 4, Genesis 10. But here what is interesting is that we have the first word is the kahal, which is classic. It is the congregation of God, the congregation of the people of God. It's a chosen name. It is precisely this name that was translated as ecclesia, which is used in the New Testament. And this is the meaning of the Ecclesia, the Kahal. But most of the time you have it speaking about the scriptural Israel. But here suddenly you have the Kahal Amim, the congregation. So you see how the translation make it company of peoples. They don't like to use the same translation that they use elsewhere with Kahal. And this is something that my hearers and the readers of my book have noticed, that we have to stick to the original and not play games with that. For those who read my commentary on Ezekiel will remember that the author very cunningly applies the word kahal when he's speaking about the throng or the cohort of the armies of the opponents. But the funny thing is that he's using the word kahal. So when you hear it, you are shaken inside. And that is why in other texts of the law, your kahal could be the kahal of the sinners and the evil ones. So kahal per se is not something that makes your thoughts 
halal or kosher or acceptable. And you have it in the book of Revelation, an expression of the synagogue of Satan. Now it's important because synagogue is the parallel word in the Old Testament that corresponds to kahal. Kahal is usually translated as ecclesia. Eda is usually translated as synagogue, but very often it goes vice versa, even in the Septuagint. Now, my take is that the technical difference is not that you have a different company, but it's viewed from two different angles. The kahal would be the popular view of the matter, those who are gathered. And the eda is the same thing, those who are gathered, but it is linked with a specific time. We have the other word from that root, mo'ed, a date of a festivity, which would be, in my words, that the eda is the cultic assembly and the kahal is the assembly of the people. Now, kahal was more interesting for Paul because ultimately, you know, his Roman household, his church or churches were not synagogues, but they were still kahal and they were bound by the will of God that they have to live as the congregation of God. So it's an aside, but I hope it is fruitful for my listeners to understand how things work in the original stories and thus in the original texts, because the stories are textual. It's not what you imagine your story is. And again, to come back to the prodigal son, look at the Sunday of the prodigal son, you know, all our services, it is as though the story is about the prodigal son. You don't hear much about the father. You don't hear much about the other brother. It's all about me, me, me. And we need really to get to shed this overcoat. And here the story of Jacob is really very important because it's lengthy. It hammers the whole matter in. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network. 